letter to the Romans. And I'm going to, to read beginning in, in verse 1 and make our way through uh, verse 13. So before we go to the word of the Lord, let's go to the Lord of his word. Again, our most gracious, loving, heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you call us to worship you corporately, gathered together as your body, that we might um, encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching, as we sit under the, the preaching of your word, we do pray, I do pray, that um, you would um, give, give me his holy unction of preaching your word, that you would give your hearers um, the ability to be able to, to hear afresh these words, you would apply them to our hearts. We know that your word does not return void, but it accomplishes the purpose for which you sent it. And as the Puritans have said, the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. So we would pray that we would have melted hearts, that the clay would be broken by your word, that we would submit humbly, that we would love what we hear, that we would be in awe and wonder at your great power and majesty. So we thank you for your word, and we pray your blessings upon the preaching and the hearing of it now. And pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow, unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are counted the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. The word of the Lord. And so, yeah, chapter 9 is that chapter where if you're a reformed guy or gal and you're talking to somebody about election and they're like, well, that's not good, that's not right, you say, Romans 9, Romans 9. And, um, and they find a thousand different ways to, to go around it. Um, and so, you know, part of me is a, a good um, Presbyterian and Reformed pastor. I'm like, Romans 9, this is good. This has given me the most trouble all week than I've had over a sermon. Just really just sort of like, gosh, I wanted to title this originally um, The Hatred of God. Because it's got that cool little you know, double meaning to it. You know, people who hate God. But also what about God's hatred? You know, the hatred of God. Um, but I decided, you know, I didn't quite want to do that. Probably safer to stick with is using the word of God. Has the word of God failed? That's the question. He, he doesn't even ask the question. He says, it's not as though the word of God has failed. Because that 
should be the natural question that comes up as we come off this wonderful Romans chapter 8 that just professes, you know, the goodness of God and he'll never let us go. Never, ever, ever, you know, the love of God, nothing can separate us from that love. And then he's like, well, and what about the Jews? They had the promises. They had all these things. You know, they were, they were members of, of, of this um, covenant of God. They had promises. What happened to them? Might the same thing happen to us? If, we, if the word of God has failed for them, what means it might not fail for us as well? And Paul is not writing this at all to be able to say, hey, you guys need to have a, a little less assurance of your salvation. You know, I don't want you to be too confident in the fact that you're saved. He's writing this, that you might have assurance of your salvation, that you might be able to walk through this life as trials happen, as struggles occur, as, as doubts pop in, that you're able to go, no, 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 I know that my Savior lives. I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that He holds me. And if I stray from Him, He goes after that one leaving the 99. He is the good shepherd. He holds me fast. What about Israel? And this is what um, Paul has begun to say at the beginning of, of chapter 9, which we talked more extensively about last week. But just he, he makes it pretty clear here. He says, I love Israel. And he's not saying this is something that's I, even going so far as to say that he could be, wish that he could, could be cut off if it were possible from Christ for the sake of his. Like he just watches them just, just ignoring such a great salvation. What, how, why? even willing to go and preach in their synagogues. He is indeed sent as an as a apostle to the Gentiles, but he's preaching to these Jews as well and receives nothing but condemnation and persecution. And, and, um, and it makes, causes him to weep so that, as we talked about last week, we ought also weep over the condition of the lost. But as I um, did look at this passage and, and thinking about it more and more and reading what you know, many other people have written and, and preached on this. Um, I had to really keep in mind that the purpose of this is our assurance and our security and that we are to give God all the glory for our salvation. For um, this doctrine of election is what we're looking at here uh, is something that is hotly debated among certain churches and I indeed myself coming out of a, a particular, um, well, I was a Southern Baptist, but they're not all the same. But back then, I was just Arminian as you could be. I thought, you know, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, now do better, and God love you more. And that's kind of what put me, you know, discouraged me in my Christian walk. And then I told my wife, sorry if you heard this a thousand times, told my wife one Sunday, you know, maybe we need to try another denomination. I just didn't want to get up and go to church anymore. And, and I really said that just to get her to be quiet because nobody ever invited us to go to any churches except Baptist churches. So I thought, well, this will make it safe, you know. So what, where are we going to go? And within two weeks of that, somebody invited us to a Presbyterian church. And I was like, okay. So we went to the Presbyterian church, PCA church in Manning, South Carolina, and um, heard the word preached, and I can't tell you that. It was, God was doing something different. And I don't want to say because the Baptists were bad and the Presbyterians were good. It's just God was doing something different. And what I heard preached was the gospel. Not me, not my sin, in part, but the whole Jesus Christ had paid for our sin. Look to Christ the Savior. Look to Christ the Savior. Grace. And I was like, Okay, this, this grace stuff is pretty good. Then, I mean, I was, every Sunday, you know the story, every, going every time the doors were open, I couldn't get enough of it, reading all these books, reading the Bible, praying. It's like, this is awesome, this is awesome. Going to Sunday school class, and in Sunday school class, they started talking. I was very argumentative. I don't know if you could believe that or not. But in Sunday school class, they started talking. 
I heard that. But in Sunday school class, they started talking about um, predestination. And I didn't know what that was, but I knew it was bad. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. And I started, you know, saying how awful this is. Blah, blah, blah. And I, one of the kids in class, an adult class, had a college student in there. And he um, uh, gave me R.C. Sproul's Chosen by God. And I was like, what's this? He said, well, I'll explain, you know, the reform view of this stuff. It's like, okay. And so the pastor, I remember the view. I remember the scene. He was leaving his car, the pastor was. And I was walking out, and I had Darcy Sproul's Chosen by God. And I said, hey, Charlie, is this a good book to read? And he's like, uh, yeah, let me, we need to, we'll talk. And I was like, hmm, I really want to read this book. So I read that book, and I got halfway through it, and I told my wife, if this is what that church believes, we cannot ever go back. And she's like, what? I said, we can't go back. Listen to this. And I just started reading her stuff. And she's like, oh. And I'm not sure what the oh meant. Like, you're correct or oh, we were doing so good. <laughs> Why are you going to have this problem? And I was like, it's okay. So I went and talked to the pastor. And I said, this can't be true. God chooses. You know, that's like, I know I chose. No, God chose you first. I mean, this is the whole thing. You have been chosen by God. And it was he who chose us. He loved us before we yet loved him. And I was like, yeah, I know, I know. So I told the pastor, I said, this can't be right. And the pastor said, he says, well, if you can show me by the scripture that this isn't true, I'll quit today and go work at Lowe's. And I said, well, I don't want to make you quit the pastorate, but off I go. I will prove to you that this is not true because there's no way it's true. So I started, I don't remember if I went and started back at the beginning or just started from where I was, but I started to look up every single passage that was talking about God's sovereignty, God's election, God being in control, God, you know, all these things. I was looking it up, looking it up, looking it up. Every time I'd find a verse, I was like, yeah, all right. So I go to the next one. Every single verse, I was ready. No, no, I looked it up in context, reading the whole thing. I was like, this can't be. And so I'd go to the next, and it's like every, I was just being thwarted at every you know, biblical passage being given to me, and I was just like, he's just picking the passages, you know, that are backing up his argument. So then you start just reading the Bible, and it's like everywhere in the Bible you start to see this. And finally, I remember one day I, I walked outside. I was outside the fellowship hall. I walked out of the backyard, and I just remember thinking, he chose me. You chose me. And that's awesome. I can do anything then. I'm not the last kid picked for the team. I'm not pushing myself forward say, hey, use me. He's like, hey, if I called you for this, then anything that I call you to do, I'll enable you to do. If it wasn't for me, you wouldn't be able to be here right now. And it was just eye-opening. And it was like, and I've heard this by more than one person who has grown up in a different uh, understanding of the sovereignty of God. It was as if I was saved all over again because I was so excited again for my salvation. And so, you know, of course, then I'm in what we call the cage stage of being a reformed guy. So I won't even tell. I remember I went back, I was teaching a class, and there's a bunch of people in there. It was a, 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 a taekwondo class, and I'm talking to these guys, and I'm excited about church, excited about the Bible and everything. And they're like, what's the difference? What's the difference? And I said, I don't know. It's okay to sin. And they're like, uh, I don't think you're right about that, brother. And I was like, no, no, you know what I mean. And they didn't know what I meant. And what I meant was, at the time was, I'm a sinner. I know it. And I still blow it. And I'm not good enough. And God loves me in spite of me because of Christ. And I was like, so it's okay that, and I understand, not okay that we sin. But in the other sense is, you're not going to lose your salvation. God's not going to stop loving you. He's a heavenly father. He loves you, and he takes you through. He meets you where you are with the gospel, and he will transform your life as you seek to know him as he works in your heart. So then we get to this passage that we're looking at here. And 
you know, you, you read it. It's obvious, especially the ending here. You know how he's going to, before they had done anything um, good or bad, I love Jacob and I hated Esau. It's like, okay. That still seems a bit much. Like, in what sense are we to understand this? So, so we start at the beginning in chapter 6. And what he says here is, um, it's these promises that were made to Israel that have not fallen. And so how can we be sure again that these promises will not fall from us and that the word of God has not fallen? He says it's not as though the word of God has failed. For not all are descendants from Israel who belong to Israel. Now, we could spend a very long time going through all these passages, but you just have to see what it's saying is that when God made promises to Israel, and this is um, Jacob's name is changed to Israel, but this is also promises to, to, to Israel and his posterity and those who will come after him, um, that not everyone who is born of Jacob's seed is of the true Israel. Spiritual Israel. We carry the same idea over into the, the New Testament. We have this concept of the, the visible church and the invisible church. We have people who are, have partaken and, and given themselves over to the external covenants of God. Maybe you've been baptized. That's an external covenant. You take the Lord's Supper. It's an external sign and seal of this covenant. And we know that just because you get baptized and just because you take the Lord's Supper, it doesn't mean that you actually possess the things that are signified. Because the things themselves, the signs are not the things. And so it is possible to baptize somebody, and unless it's united by faith, it is to their condemnation. that You can eat and drink um, to your condemnation as well. You're proclaiming, I need these things to live, and you don't even believe it yourself. And so we understand that within the church there are people who just are making their way through it and they don't really have faith. Now the question that should be popping up in the elect right now is, what if that's me? What if I'm one of the, What if I'm not of the elect? And there's a lot of people that can struggle with that and we'll get to that. But, um, you know, do I have faith? Am I one? Am I, do I have true faith? That's, that's the question. Do you have faith? Do you believe? Are you following Christ? Do you love Jesus? That's... That's what you have to ask yourself. Are you believing and trusting in the gospel? And in verse 7, not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. So just by natural descent from Abraham didn't mean you were saved in the Old Testament. So what we begin to see is in the Old Testament, people are saved by, the, by faith in Christ looking forward in the same way we in the New Testament are saved by faith in Christ as we look backwards to his work and to his ongoing work now and to his work that was happening even before his final work on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. But not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Now, here's part of my struggle with we only have so much time. And then my question was, does everybody know who Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were? <laughs> you know, maybe everybody in here does. We have people that watch this stuff later. It's like they even know. So I'm like, well, you know, read Genesis. That'll be a good, healthy thing to do and, and, and see what's happening there. Genesis you know, 12 and going on and, and, and reading these things. But uh, basically what we're saying in verse 7, not all are children of Abraham. And he was the one to whom the promise was given. 
that God came to Abraham and says, in you shall all the nations be blessed. There's going to be many children. There's going to be a land. There's going to be nations. But in you shall all the nations be blessed. And then he's promised a son. And he's, he's old in age. And he later see that he can have a son. But he's promised all these things. And he believes God for the promises. And then God says, your belief is being imputed to you. It's being credited to you as righteousness. And then we, we read elsewhere that, and we'll look at all this too. It's like, so when Abraham's faith is credited to him for righteousness, before he's circumcised, that means he believed not just for those who would be circumcised later, but also for those who were, would not be circumcised, the Gentiles who come in later, us, that it would be the faith of Abraham that saves us. Not the circumcision, which he received after he'd already been credited with righteousness, not this work of righteousness he did, but the faith of Abraham so that as believers today, we are, the, we are his offspring. We are the promised children so that we have Abraham as our father. Now, does that make us Jews? In a sense, I mean, we're engrafted into Israel. We're engrafted into spiritual Israel and if we don't continue, in, if the church doesn't continue in the belief, then that can be broken off too. But these are all by promises. The promises, we don't replace Israel. We've been engrafted and become a part of spiritual Israel. So that by faith, all these Old Testament promises are being given to and fulfilled in the church, which includes spiritual Israel in which we are engrafted so that the promises are expanding into the entire world. But they are all by faith. And so when he says, verse 8, this is not that the children of flesh are the children of God, which is interesting because he's calling us the children of God. Don't miss that. And by adoption, we're brought into his family through Jesus Christ, and we are called the children of God. But it's not the children of flesh. Promise was made to Abraham that he's going to have a son and many children, actually. And then he gets older and his wife is older, doesn't like they have any children. And then he's like, tells God, hey, I don't have any children. It looks like somebody in my household, somebody in my, you know, is going to inherit everything. I don't have an actual child of my own that's going to inherit stuff. And God says, you're going to have a son, your own son from your loins. He is going to be born. And, and the promises are going to be through him. And he's like, I believe it. And so he, time goes on, and he's like, how can this be? And his wife comes up with a plan. I'm sure she's listening to him on and on. He must have been hints and accusations and things. And so finally, I think she says, hey, you know, there was a, a rule in their land at the time that if you um, took your slave um, and had a child by your slave, then that child becomes your child and your inheritor. And they, they did that a lot in that day. And Abraham thought to himself, well, it's got to be like that because I can't see any other way I'm going to have a child. So he, so he does that, and he has a child. And then um, God said, no, it's going to be from your own loins. It's going to be a child from your own loins. And then he's like, oh. And then Sarah hears that, that she's going to have a child, and she laughs because she, she's old. So he named him Laughter, Yitzhak, Laughter. And, and he has this child of promise. And this is what they're talking about here. He had a child of flesh, same man, same father, two different children. One that was achieved by just flesh. You tried to do God's things your way. And then you had the child of promise where God did things his way miraculously by faith and said, trust me and this is going to happen. 
And he says that that's an example. You're not born according to flesh. You're born into the kingdom of God by promise. And in verse 9, for this is what the promise said about this time next year, you will return and Sarah will have a son. And then he goes on, and not only so, but also when Rebekah, and this is um, Isaac's wife, when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, um, though they were not yet born or had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older shall serve the younger. Now, that wasn't supposed to happen. You always have the older, you know, he's the firstborn, and he uh, gets all the inheritance, and he, you know, he's the one that, 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 that rules the family later, and uh, he's not going to be reversed in this case. And it is also written, Jacob I loved and Esau I've hated. And so we see that not only was it those who are descended from, from Isaac, because you could, you could decide, okay, Ishmael's line, obviously that's cut off. It's just the line of Isaac. And so what God is saying here, what Paul is saying about the Holy Spirit is like, no, 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 don't think it's just, even within Isaac, there is a differentiation so that not all of Isaac's line are of Isaac, Esau and Jacob, who gets renamed Israel. And then not all of Israel is Israel. So it's according to God's purpose, according to his calling of election. So, as Galatians 3, 7 says, then know that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And let's see if we have Romans 4. If you just go back a few chapters, Romans 4, read verses 7 through 12. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. This is from David. And blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is it this blessing? Is this blessing then only for the circumcised, which is only for the Jews, or also for the uncircumcised, these Gentiles? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he'd been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of the covenant as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham that he had before he was circumcised. So hopefully you're able to follow that. You're able to see a little bit of the argument that he's making that this is by faith both for Jew and for Gentile. Now this is an important point because when we get to um, Romans 9, 10 through um, chapter, sorry, verses 10 through 13, uh, it's going to sound a little rough. And as I've said, it's given me a little difficulty. God hating Esau and, you know, I, I understood what the Grinch meant. I puzzled and puzzled to my puzzle over sore. I was like, how do we, how do we take this? And there's lots of different ways that, that people, people look at this. And I, really, I came to this realization. Um, it's that the wonder is not about God hating Esau. And I think that's where we go. It's like, God, God is love. Yes, God is love. You got to be holy, holy, holy. 
He loves his holiness. His, his love is a holy love. And therefore, if he has any sort of hatred, it is a holy hatred. And, and we have to think about that. But the first thing is, how does anybody get God's love? Because, because we miss that. We're so bothered by God possibly treating people with injustice that we begin to accuse God of being unjust and it just messes with us. How can God, why does he do this? It's not right. But then we don't understand the problem is why would he love either of them? Why would he love any of us? Because the whole human race was plunged into sin at the fall of Adam in the Garden of Eden. And we are called, apart from Christ, all people, a crooked and twisted generation. We are called children of wrath by nature. And many other things, the most unlovely of creatures living in rejection and rebellion against God, our holy Redeemer, to whom we owe our love with every fiber of our being, just in being created by him and who he is. Even more so now that we see him as, as Redeemer and Savior. And yet all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and deserve only condemnation. So why has God chosen to express his love to some? Because we would think he ought to express that same love to everybody. And, you know, keep reading ahead. Paul's going to address that issue too. And basically the answer is God's got a purpose. God's got a reason. And a lot of it he didn't tell us about. It's a hidden thing of God. The things that are revealed belong to us, but the secret things belong to the Lord. And so we have to trust in who God is and that he is love and that he is right and that he is good and that everything he does is holy and good and right. So why has God chosen to express his love to some and to pass over others even in such a way in which in Holy Scripture we can read that God hated Esau before he had done anything good or bad and not because God foresaw evil in Esau and faith and goodness in Isaac. He tells us why he did this in a, what we can understand because the way Paul writes in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it was in order that God's purpose of election might continue not because of works, but because of him who calls. So anyone who is saved isn't saved because of anything within them. That's the Puritan saying the only thing we had to contribute to our sin was our need for it. And so we're saved, not because we deserve it. So some people won't go to church because, well, I've got to get my life cleaned up a little bit better. I've got to start doing better before I go to church. And it's like, <laughs> you, don't, you, you, you don't get better before you go to the doctor, and you don't get in good shape before you start going to the gym. I mean, I guess some people might because they worry about what they're going to look like. But that's not the way the church is supposed to be. The church is, you go because that's where the water is. You go because that's where life is. You go because that's where the gospel is. You go because that's where Christ is. You go because that's where my only hope is. As Jesus looks at Peter at one time, he says, are you going to leave me too? He's like, where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. That's it. And so we have to, to cling to that. And then what we're understanding is the reason that we're clinging to it is because he has called us by his sovereign calling if you look back again at 9.6, we read, it's not as though the word of God has failed. Now, the word for failed in Greek is literally fallen. It's not as though the word of God has fallen. And in verse 11, 
but it is so that God's purpose and election might stand. So it's not that the words fail, but it's that God's purposes might be solid. So you're misunderstanding whatever God says. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, and he's asking him about being born again and not being able to see the kingdom of God unless these things happen. And he's telling him about the Christ and the salvation that's coming. And he looks at Nicodemus and he says, are you a teaching of Israel and you don't understand these things? You know, he's like, this is what he's saying here. It's like the reason it would seem as if God's word is failing because of what you see happening with the Jews and even what we see happening sometimes within the church or as you're trying to, you're doing, you're sharing the gospel with other people and why are some people rejecting it and why are some people receiving it? The problem's not in the word of God. We know the parable of the sower. It's not the seed, it's, it's the ground. And so the, God is at work. And this is why we do evangelism. This is why we share the gospel. This is why we pray for people because God uses all these means to call people to himself because he is calling people to himself. He says at one point, you know, it's the harvest fields are, you know, they're white unto harvest. You know, I need more, need more workers. You know, send more, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he might send more workers into this field. So first, you got to get, let's get this hatred thing out of the way. Um, how is this word hatred to be understood? And I think it is best um, for us if we can look at, so look at Luke 14. So Matthew, Mark, Luke. That's right, Luke 14. We have Luke down here. Hey, buddy. Luke 14. And we're going to begin reading this verses 26 and 27. Well, I'm in Mark, and that's not going to cut it. So Luke 14. Don't read ahead of me. Luke 14, 26 and 27. If anyone comes to me and does not hate. That's a big word right there. It's Jesus talking. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers, and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come to me cannot be my disciple. Okay, I'm telling you what, if you're one of these non-believers, you want to point to contradictions in Scripture. This is where you go, because it's like, wait a second, this, 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 this is not right. This is not right. So you've got to look at this and go, all right, Scripture interprets Scripture. It's the only infallible rule of interpretation of the Bible. You let the Bible interpret the Bible, because we could go a lot of ways with this. I could all say, what do you think it means? Well, it doesn't matter what you think it means. It matters what does it mean? What does God intend for it to mean? And what does the Holy Scripture say that it means? And he says, Jesus is saying to these crowds that if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father or mother, wait a minute, we're supposed to honor our parents. You honor your mother and your father. Anyone doesn't hate his own wife, Wait a second, the word of God says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then brothers and sisters, it's like you're supposed to love, it says you love your enemies. So something's going on here. And one of the places that helps is a parallel passage where you go to um, Matthew 10, verse 37 through 39, so Matthew 10. 
verse 37. Jesus again speaking, and he says, Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so you see, it's the same thing he's saying, but he's saying it in a little different way. And so one of the things that we need to be able to see when we're looking at this hatred is that the love of God must never be overshadowed. It must never overshadow. The love of God must never be overshadowed by your love for other people. If your wife is keeping you away from Christ, you, it, 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 I love Christ. If your children, or you're loving your children more than you're loving Christ, uh-uh, uh-uh, you now have created idols. Okay? Anything you love more than God, you have idols. You have old gods. You are worshiping them. Don't worship your husband. Don't worship your wife. Don't worship your children. Don't worship your brothers and sisters because they will keep you away from Christ if they are your highest good. And the best way I know to, to you know, children, it says honor your parents and all these things. I had a, there was a, a lady I knew, and um, she had uh, a child, a grown adult child who was having um, difficulties in life, addictions, things like this, and he moved in with her and said, um, you can do that, but you're going to go to church. If you're living with me, you're going to go to church. And so he came a couple times, and he quit coming, and started to do other things, and it's like, not necessarily, you know, back into these other things, but just living a life in a way that um, is contrary. You know, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. And so what the, his mother told him was, I need you to know this. I love Jesus more than I love you. And that is good for you. And I, she told me that, and I was like, ugh. <laughs> Something doesn't, that doesn't sit right. And I thought about it, it's like, wow, that's powerful. That's right. Because she wasn't hating him. She was loving him by telling him, if I give everything for you and I worship you and give you all that you want and all that you need and I am only after your comfort and your approval and your love, we're going down together. But if I hate in comparison to the love of God and I'll follow him who tells me that I'm to be a good mother, who tells me I'm to pray for my child, who tells me that you Sometimes you have to say no. Sometimes love says enough's enough. And when you see who I'm following, that's who you need to be following. Because if you worship your children, they think they're worthy of worship, and they will worship themselves too. Same thing with any other person that you do. So I think when we're looking at this concept, we need to think less emotively and more actively I don't think it's without emotions, but you're talking about God and the way he deals with people. And a good example of this is from the famous John 3.16. Um, for God so loved the world. And as the New Living Translation says, for God loved the world so much. And I've heard good theologians make that point. God loved the world so much. But that's not the words utas, utas, utas. I knew I should have looked up exactly how the Greek word means. It can be used both ways like this, or it can mean so much. But in this context, 
If we are looking at the love of God where he just loved the world so much he had to send his son. Who's he loving more? The world or Christ? It's like, I love the world so much, <laughs> I'm going to send my son. Mm-mm, that's not. So the, the, um, the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB, and the New English Translation, and a footnote in the ESV, if you read where it is in John 3.16, the, the ESV footnote says, this is how God loved the world. And the CSB says, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And that fits the rest of the gospel. This is how God loved the world. You know how he loved the world? He sent his son into the world. That the people loved darkness rather than light. And they did not receive him. So God did a very loving thing for the world. The most loving thing ever. Giving the son of God. He says, the light has come into the world, and the world knew him not. The world indeed was in love with darkness, but he graced Jacob the same way as he graced Adam and Eve with animal skins, and the whole world through them. He graced Noah by not destroying everybody in the whole world as they deserved in the days of Noah, but through Noah, the world is saved And it was as hatred towards Esau, for he left Esau to be Esau, that Jacob becomes Israel, not because of Jacob, but because of God. Esau remained Esau because of Esau. Jacob would remain Jacob because of Jacob. You would remain you because of you. And whoever you are now is nothing compared to who you would have been without Christ. And we have to know that of ourselves. And if we look at election, it's not to say, hey, look how great I am because God chose me. It's like, no, it should humble us greatly because if God had not done something first, you would be wallowing in the mire. And that's where we would be. God worked in time to transform the deceiver and usurper Jacob into a humble man who struggled with God to be blessed by him. And he transforms us in our struggles as well. And this is the most wonderful thing. Instead of the wrath of God, which we all deserve, We get the benefits of his grace and mercy as we love and look forward to Christ's return. And we know that we're saved because of his blood spilled for us on the cross, not for every single person, but for the elect of God. But that the atoning sacrifice of Christ is sufficient for the entire world, but only efficient for the elect. And that's why it's kind of hard. So you're saying some people can't be saved. No. <laughs> Turn to the Lord. <laughs> Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins, believe in Christ, and you shall be saved. Will everyone be saved? No. And the Bible's clear. Not everyone's going to be saved. Who determines who gets saved and who's not? People or God? You leave it to people, the answer is none of us get saved. That's it. Nobody. So we leave it to God. That his purpose of election might stand. For he is a holy God. He hates sin with a holy hatred. And apart from Christ, we are only sinners. So the question arises, how do I know if I'm of the elect? And first, very wrong question. The right question is, have, have you heard his voice? Do you hope that you're elect? Do you 
see your need for Christ? Is your heart changed and is it changing? But most importantly, am I trusting in the promises of God for my salvation achieved by Christ Jesus alone, not looking to myself for my hope? Not even looking to my faith, but the one in whom my faith is. The author and finisher of my faith. Do you repent of your sins and continue to repent? Continue to preach the gospel to yourself. Continue to embrace the free grace of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Nothing in my hands I bring simply to thy cross I cling. And it makes the wonder of Romans 8 all the more glorious. So turn to, to Romans chapter 8. It starts off at chapter 1. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now remember, it's not as though the word of God has failed. We're talking about those who are in Christ, those who have faith, those who are spiritual, those who are clinging to the promises, those who are hoping, please, I pray that I'm elect. It's like, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. For sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is to die, but to set the mind of the Spirit is life and death. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot, for those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, I'm going to switch to the y'all translation so you can pick up on the plurals because it's important. Y'all, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of Christ dwells in y'all, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in y'all, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in y'all, who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in y'all. As a believer, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you as we cling to these promises. And if you skip to verse 18 in, in Romans 8, just for consideration of time, I consider that the sufferings of this present world are not worth comparing to the glory that's to be revealed to us. And then it goes to verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit's praying for you according to God's will. And we know that for those who love God, okay, this is the thing, for those who love God, and he doesn't say the elect here, because it's like, Everybody who loves God, that's the elect. You love God? You care about this? You're trusting in these things. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are what? Called according to his purpose. And that's every believer. Why does he call anybody according to his purpose? Why were you called according to his purpose? Why is anybody called according to his purpose? That his purposes might stand. And it's for his glory. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. <clears throat> and those whom he predestined, he also called. For loved 
called and whom he calls, he justifies and whom he justifies, he's glorified, then what are we supposed to say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who's there going to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who's interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? So see what he's saying? It's going to look, when you look at what's happening to Israel, to the Jews, it's like something has separated them from the love of Christ. No, some of these people just weren't the called according to God's purposes. But you who are believing and are trusting in the promises are the called. In the Old Testament, they cried out, for your sake, we're being killed all day long. We're guarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And they're crying out, we're trying to do good. In the psalmist, we read, it's like, we're, we're following you, but what is happening? What is happening? Why are we being slaughtered? He's saying, no, in all these things, you're more than conquerors. It might look like you're, you're being conquered, but you are not. The world has not conquered you. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are to be secure in his foreknowledge, in his forelove, and his love for us as we trust in him, knowing that he has first loved us. So when we come to the table, as you hold the elements in your hand, as you're thinking about these things. We had communion at Presbytery yesterday, and one of my thoughts as I'm thinking this through and holding the elements was, you know, God saying, this is how I loved you. This is how I love you. I'm not leaving you. I'm not abandoning you. I have given myself for you. I have given the, the life of the, the, <laughs> the sacrifice for sins I have given for you. There's now no condemnation. And I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, and I am here, and I am with you. And John 6, 37 says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So that's our assurance. If you've been called by the Father, you're going to come to Christ. It's a good news for the gospel. You go forth with people, it's like you just... You know, it's like you're activating people. You know, it's like some people get it now, some people get it later. But you, you struggle, you pray, you preach. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. It's not a magic thing that happens because not all of Israel is Israel. Not all people are of the elect. But the elect, these things will be effective unto God's purposes by the working of the Holy Spirit. And it might bother you. You prefer to have the power of influence over people. You prefer to be able to, to you don't want that. What good is that? And thank God it wasn't left to me. I'm glad God was. I, I actually literally used to picture God up in heaven with his fingers crossed, hoping somebody would come across and share the good news with the boy. Won't somebody come along and help him? You know, and then I realized there's no crossed fingers. There's a, there's a sovereign God in heaven who says, Dowin is mine and the gates of hell will not stand against it. And if you're in Christ, the same is true for you. Now, if you're not, there is a sacrifice for sin. You hear the calling, it's God's calling, and you're to respond. And when you respond in repentance and faith and trust, and who am I to believe? Exactly. Thank you, Lord, for this great salvation. I believe, help my unbelief. That is the call. And you have a real choice to make. You have a real decision. 
You have a real faith to faith. You have a real belief to believe. You have real work to do. But with the Holy Spirit, He gets you through. He works you through these things. And it is lifelong, lifelong, lifelong. That's why He says, I am the solid rock. And on this rock, you will stand. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you've told us to come, that you give us rest for our souls. And when we come to the table, we know that Jesus is saying, I have done it all. I would do it all again, but it is finished. That the new covenant in your blood, Christ, is given for us by your one-time sacrifice. The wrath of God for us is exhausted. And at the table, you remind us again. And so we do pray, remind us again, revive us again, that this is how you have loved us and how you have secured our salvation. As we pray in Christ's name, amen.